Um, but I think the full scope of uh, King's life's work, his speeches, his sermons, his writings, um, is much more profound and complicated than that one day, uh, that one speech. Uh, he was always concerned with uh, social movements, and that certainly evolved over his lifetime, his short lifetime. We do have the legacy of Dr. King to look to for inspiration. And I think we can use that for strength as we move forward to try to make a difference in this world. Welcome to the award-winning podcast, Lawyer to Lawyer, with J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi, bringing you the latest legal news and observations with the leading experts in the legal profession. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Welcome to Lawyer to Lawyer on the Legal Talk Network, and Happy New Year. I'm Craig Williams, coming to you from a very sunny Southern California. I write a legal blog named May It Please the Court, and have two books out entitled How to Get Sued and The Sled. Well, before we introduce today's topic, we'd like to thank our sponsor, Clio. Clio's cloud-based practice management software makes it easy to manage your law firm from intake to invoice. You can try it for free at clio.com. That's C-L-I-O.com. Well, this week in January of 2019, we celebrated Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., a leader and an icon in the civil rights movement. Dr. King combated racial inequality through nonviolent resistance up until his assassination in 1968, but his words, teachings, and his fight for equality continue to inspire and impact people all over the world. Today on Lawyer to Lawyer, we're going to spotlight Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., this, his civil rights movement, his legacy, and the lasting impact. To do that, we've got a great lineup of guests today. Here to discuss this topic is attorney Cedric Merlin Powell. He is a professor of law from the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law. Professor Powell has written over a very broad range of topics, including affirmative action and a critical race theory, the First Amendment, hate speech, 14th Amendment, and structural inequality. Well, welcome to the show, Professor Powell. Thank you very much. And our next guest is attorney Justin Hansford, professor of law and executive director of the Thorogood Marshall Civil Rights Center at Howard University School of Law. Just this week, Justin delivered the keynote address at Rockville, Maryland's 47th annual Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Day celebration. Welcome to the show, Professor Hansford. Thanks. Glad to be here. And finally, we have attorney and professor Theodore Shaw, Ted Shaw. He is the director of the Center for Civil Rights at the University of North Carolina School of Law at Chapel Hill. Professor Shaw teaches civil procedure and advanced constitutional law, 14th Amendment. Professor Shaw served on the Obama transition team after the 2008 presidential election as the team leader for the Civil Rights Division of the Justice Department. And welcome to the show, Professor Shaw. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Well, since you're all three professors, I'm going to dispense with titles, and uh, I'm going to ask uh, Cedric first, I think, to just kind of give us a little bit of background and history of Martin Luther King, where he was as a, a young man, and, and how his involvement started in the civil rights movement. Well, I think his involvement was uh, very important to him at a very young age. A lot of people forget it. his father, Martin Luther King Sr., uh, was very active in civil rights movements in uh, Alabama and, and Atlanta, Georgia, of course. 
Uh, and I think Martin sort of modeled that type of behavior. Uh, he was always concerned with uh, social movements, and that certainly evolved over his lifetime, his short lifetime, uh, into areas like fighting for racial justice in all areas of society, civil rights, voting rights, public accommodations, uh, even early versions of affirmative action. So I think that his involvement was directly related to his father, Martin Luther King Sr. Well, Ted, what was the spark that started the civil rights movement? Well, when you say the civil rights movement, I would qualify it by saying the modern civil rights movement because uh, the civil rights movement had deep and long roots. Uh, you know, it, it was an ongoing struggle that was throughout the 20th century in play. Uh, but I think what we're talking about is the civil rights movement that we uh, we talk about uh, that started in the 1950s. And in particular, we have to think about the Montgomery bus boycott, where a young Martin Luther King just so happened to have taken up the reins of the Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. Uh, and when he did that uh, and found himself in... Uh, Montgomery, there was a now famous incident in which Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on a bus, which didn't happen serendipitously. She was an activist, and uh, there was a uh, a plan uh, to challenge segregation in the buses. Uh, but once that boycott started, the community, uh, and particularly the religious community, in uh, Montgomery chose Martin Luther King Jr., uh, to lead uh, the effort. And the reason they chose him, frankly, was because he was new there and he didn't carry any baggage. He hadn't uh, made any enemies. There were no uh, rivalries yet that he was engaged in. And so they chose him. And it turned out that he was this eloquent, powerful speaker and a leader. And he had a vision uh, that came to be known as nonviolent resistance uh, to racial and social injustice. And the civil rights movement that we think of, the modern civil rights movement, was off and running as of that time. But uh, not long before that, there was uh, the murder of a young black boy in Mississippi, um, as we know, um, and uh, Emmett Till. So there were, and it was Brown versus Board of Education in 1954, which also helped to spark the modern civil rights movement. Uh, and so, uh, you know, there were all kinds of things that were happening um, that came into confluence and started what became the great modern civil rights movement as of the late 50s and on through the 60s. Well, Justin, my, my father was a minister as well, and uh, he never made it from the pulpit to as an activist. What was it that... that got Martin Luther King out of the pulpit and, and into the public eye? Well, uh, Dr. King's vision of theology and his, his particular approach to faith was one, uh, as Ted described, deeply rooted in a struggle that began even before enslavement for people of African descent in the sense that uh, even on the slave ships, before they even reached these shores, there was always resistance. And he went to uh, Morehouse University, historically black college um, in Atlanta, 
and studied under Howard Thurman, who is someone who uh, your listeners may not be familiar with, but I encourage them to learn more about him. He was a, uh, a professor of theology who was a, a great leader in, a, in his own right. And again, Dr. King came out of these uh, historically black colleges, such as Howard University, the one where I'm honored uh, to be a professor at. Um, and these historically black colleges and universities housed some of the most talented black professors, scholars, people of the caliber of a Howard Sherman, and they produced people of the caliber of Martin Luther King, uh, people of the caliber of a Thurgood Marshall, who graduated from Howard, Charles Houston, who taught there. So uh, Dr. King's approach to uh, using his theology as a tool for liberation is something that was passed down to him through his uh, teachers, his family, his parents, and I was part of his community's doctrine that they had used to resist uh, oppression for hundreds of years. And so I, it wasn't something that that came out of him just spontaneously. It was a deliberate approach that uh, he then took almost as if it was a baton and uh, kept on running the race for the next leg. What was it about his I Have a Dream speech that became uh, such a rallying cry as part of the Civil Rights Movement? How did that motivate people? Where did it touch them? And how did it pull them out of out of just lack of involvement into further involvement in this movement? Because certainly that in 1963 and uh, the march on Washington, D.C. was a major turning point. Cedric, what do you think? Well, I think that the speech really captured America's imagination. It sort of, and most people emphasize this during the Martin Luther King Day celebrations. I have a dream. You usually have a young child who can recite it word for word, and I think that's very powerful. But I think what captures the imagination is Dr. King was really emphatically saying what democracy is. I think of Dr. Martin Luther King is a radical democratic theorist. He was really talking about if democracy really means this, we need inclusion. We need people to be able to articulate their views, to be able to participate in all levels of American society. So I have a dream isn't just some hopeful message. It is a demand that America lives up to its obligations and representations as a free democracy, a pluralistic society. And I think the speech captures our imagination because not only was Dr. Martin Luther King underscoring and highlighting what America claims to be, but what it could be if everyone was included. So it's really an attack on everything that excludes people of color, the poor, people who are historically oppressed. And he's arguing for an America that fulfills its destiny as a great functioning democracy. You know, I have a... Uh, I have a, what could be considered a, a little bit of pushback against uh, the way people remember that speech, and uh, mm-hmm. it's probably not a secret to anyone on the phone. Uh, but you know, he's remembered for that speech and that one speech, and it's called the "I Have a Dream" speech. It could have been called the "Bounce Check" speech. Uh, you know, right. if you read the whole speech, um, he was a critic of our country. Uh, although he loved America, he loved it as many of us do critically. 
And uh, he's remembered as this uh, idle dreamer in some ways, or uh, this person who had this vision of racial integration, when he really posed a radical challenge, uh, not only to American racism, but to economic injustice in this country, uh, to militarism, uh, to you know the Vietnam War eventually, at great cost to himself. That was only one of his speeches. It was a powerful and eloquent speech, and that was an uh, an important gathering of people on that day uh, in August of uh, 1963. But I think the full scope of uh, King's life's work, his speeches, his sermons, his writings, is much more profound and complicated than that one day, uh, that one speech. And he is remembered as the leader of the civil rights movement. Um, He was one of the leaders of the civil rights movement. Uh, There were many others. And uh, he's the one we remember perhaps best and most. And I honor Dr. King. Uh, I love what he stood for. Uh, But I also think it's important to put him in a a broader and a deeper context. How do you take Martin Luther King's uh, legacy that he's established and apply it to the current day political climate and situation as it exists? I mean, it... We are having more movements. I don't think the civil rights movement has stopped yet. It seems like it's it's in full swing on a very broad scale. A lot of people are reaching out. How do we take that legacy, and what do we learn from it to draw into the current situations? Uh, yeah, so I, I can say that uh, even if we look at that particular march, you should remember that that was a march on Washington for jobs, and freedom. And Dr. King's vision, again, uh, I believe is too often distilled in the form of this dream. And accurately, I believe his vision had much more to do with some radical economic ideas on the uh, point about economic justice, for example. Uh, he believed that there should be guaranteed employment towards the end of his career. And uh, he's someone who was a fierce critic of economic inequality, which we know since his time has only skyrocketed. I think we already knew that uh, 1% of the population has over 40% of America's wealth. Um, In terms of the wealth gap, when it comes to race, uh, the average Black family's wealth um, is, I believe, around $1,700. The average white family's wealth, $117 thousand dollars. That's the type of gap we've seen only become larger in the aftermath of the recession and then going on to most recently the tax breaks for the wealthy. So these are the types of questions on economic justice that would have been Dr. King's focus, I believe. And of course, on the questions as controversial as immigration, I saw, I believe it was on the Late Show, uh, Stephen Colbert, um, I think they, they even quoted Dr. King, who did weigh in on the question of walls. And in that context, it came out of his visit to East Berlin. And I think the quote was, on either side of the wall, 
are God's children, and no man-made barrier can ever obliterate that fact. His idea was, he used the term of a world house to describe the global community and the way he wanted his idea of the beloved community to be global and inclusive. And so these ideas are so relevant to what we face today. And, you know, these are questions in addition to, of course, the core uh, racial contradiction that America faces and how it deals with uh, its people of color. These are the types of questions that he'd be animated by today. And there's the problems have yet to find solutions. And so uh, I believe that for most of us, if we really are interested in, in honoring Dr. King's legacy, the way to do that wouldn't be to quote the I Have a Dream speech. The way to do it would be to get to work on those issues that he would be passionate about and try our best to make a contribution that will be lasting and positive. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, we need to take a break. Before we move on to our next segment, we will hear a message from our sponsor. We'll be right back. Imagine what you could do with an extra eight hours per week. That's how much time legal professionals save with Clio, the world's leading practice management software. With intuitive time tracking, billing, and matter management, Clio streamlines everything you do to run your practice from intake to invoice. Try Clio for free and get a 10% discount for your first six months when you sign up at their website, clio.com, that's C-L-I-O.com, with the code L2L10, that's L2L, the number 10. And welcome back to Lawyer to Lawyer. I'm Craig Williams, and we are joined today by attorney Cedric Merlin-Powell. He's the professor of law from the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law. Attorney Justin Hansford, he's a professor of law and executive director of the Thoroughgood Marshall Civil Rights Center at Howard University School of Law. And attorney and professor Ted Shaw, he's the director of the Center for Civil Rights at the University of North Carolina School of Law at Chapel Hill. And we've been talking about Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I guess it's a reverend Dr. Martin Luther King, and how he's inspired uh, all individuals in the in the civil rights movement. But I'd kind of like to turn to you individually, and I'm I'm kind of figuring that one of you has some children. How's Dr. King inspired you? individually? And, and what have you taught your children or others around you about Dr. King? How do you communicate his legacy to others? Justin, let's turn to you first. Sure. Um, so I can say individually, uh, Dr. King has inspired me through his, his courage. And uh, what I mean by that, not only did he face a number of physical threats in his career from uh, white supremacists, from people who were hecklers at his protests, you know, uh, but also from a moral perspective, he wasn't afraid to take controversial stands, such as his stand on the Vietnam War, that were unpopular, but uh, he still did what he believed was right. And when I said I take um, inspiration from that, luckily I haven't had to face the trials that he has, but I've, I've been involved in protests in Ferguson, with um, Black Lives Matter, and we face hecklers. Sometimes they do it online through tweets as trolls. Sometimes it's it's uh, on the streets of the protest. Um, my students have faced uh, blowback from their involvement in some of these protest marches. Uh, but we do, I, I do, and I know my students do also take great courage from 
knowing that people like Dr. King faced very similar types of hostility and history vindicated them. And so, you know, you hope that history will vindicate you as well. And, you know, you don't stop, you know, for Dr. King, it wasn't, for, it was the, the charge was don't stop marching. Maybe for us, the charge is don't stop tweeting or, or don't, definitely don't stop organizing <laughs> because, um, you know, whether, you know, the hate speech comes in the form of you know, people in your face um, on the street or people in your psychological space online, it is still a, uh, a stressor and, and a cause for fear when people threaten you, threaten your your family or threaten your livelihood. And uh, we do continue to face that. So um, that's, that's, how, that's what I've taken the most inspiration from in terms of his physical courage and in terms of his moral courage. You know, I strive to be more outspoken on questions of injustice. Um, you know, just uh, as you mentioned, on Martin Luther King Day, I had the privilege of being able to deliver the address to a few hundred people. And I had to be honest. I had to say that in the city of Rockville, where I spoke, I had to say that they had a while to go to meet Dr. King's high standard because they had not yet declared themselves a sanctuary city. And I believe that's what Dr. King would have wanted. Uh, they had uh, yet to fully move as fast as I would have liked to see them move on integrating the uh, public school system in terms of hiring more teachers of color. So those types of stances where they will be somewhat controversial, I believe that if we are going to fully honor the legacy of people like Dr. King. And I always mention Charles Houston because he in many ways was the founder of the law school where I teach. If we're going to honor those legacies, we have to be willing to follow in the footsteps of these people who um, faced similar and even greater challenges and were able to meet them. So that's how I've taken some measure of uh, inspiration from Dr. King's legacy as well. Cedric? Well, I have uh, two children. I have a 14-year-old and a 21-year-old, and uh, I've always tried to lead by example and show them that you have to be actively engaged. I think that Dr. King was the preeminent public citizen of our time, meaning that he was actively engaged and critically confronting issues that impact what democracy is. And I keep returning to this theme of democracy, but I think it's important for young children and young adults to be fully aware that in order for this to be fully functional as a democracy, all of us have to be involved. That's why I am particularly alarmed about the moves against voting rights uh, under this illusory uh, fraud investigation or uh, neutral requirements like formalistic IDs and those type of things. But I point that out merely to say that Whenever I can, I point out to my children how structural inequality works, how people are excluded, and, and how you have to sort of stand up uh, and, and make a difference. And you do that by leading by example. I want to return to one thing that, uh, a couple of themes that uh, Justin and Ted sort of underscored, and I think this is important for all of our listeners, that we've sort of frozen Dr. King into time. I think all of us recognize that with I Have a Dream speech, but there are things that he did and wrote about. There's a, a marvelous compendium of his writings called A Testament of Hope, which really talks about everything that he uh, wrote during his all-too-brief career. 
and is edited by James Washington. But one of the two books that he did later on in his life was Why We Can't Wait and Where Do We Go From Here, Chaos or Community. You asked earlier what uh, Dr. King would be involved in. He would be 90 years old if he had been blessed with a great uh, and long life. And he did tremendous thing in, in a short period of time. Uh, but Ted talked about materialism, and, uh, and and Dr. King always critiqued what he called the great triplets of racism, materialism, and militarism. So I think he would be actively involved in calling for the guaranteed income that Justin was talking about. He would try to wipe out vestiges of racism, uh, not only in the United States, but globally, because he once said racism is no mere American phenomenon. He would talk about a peace race rather than an arms race. And he would talk about fully engaging people in what we call this democracy. And he'd really be concerned about the disproportionate impact on communities of color. And I think my children see all of these things because I point them out uh, continually, and they are involved and engaged. My son is uh, studying abroad in Amman, Jordan, and he's very concerned about uh, the carceral state, of course. He's concerned about the Israeli-Palestine issues. He's concerned about issues here on the ground with Black Lives Matter. And I think that's the result of his mother and I um, and our daughter sort of being actively involved and paying attention to what's happening around us because it impacts us all. Well, Ted, where do you think we can go and honor Dr. King's legacy? What is it that we need as a society to do well, better? Well, uh, these days... Uh, I think where we find ourselves, ironically, after the election twice of the first African-American president, we find ourselves in a place where uh, racism is right out front. Uh, you know, and I don't know if anybody is now talking about it as they were a few years ago, mistakenly, I think, the notion that we've reached some kind of nirvana, colorblindness, uh, you know, a race-blind society. Clearly, we haven't. And um, we're called upon to to go back to the streets and to march, but also to go back to the courtrooms, to go back to the halls of power, whether we're talking about uh, Congress or whether we're talking about uh, state and local legislatures. We're called upon to continue the struggle that we've been engaged in uh, for so long, uh, it's very clear these days that our country is on very thin ice, that we, uh, we're in trouble uh, with respect to the values that we say we believe in, with respect to the notion of, of a society that is still marching toward uh, racial and economic justice and uh, gender justice, etc. Um, you know, sometimes we don't recognize our country now. I think if Dr. King uh, were to come back today, um, he'd have a hard time recognizing where we are. Uh, yes, he would be, have been surprised that we elected a an African American president twice. Um, but I think he would also be very disturbed about where we've gone after that. You know, you asked a question about our children, and uh, I have two generations of children. And the Martin Luther King story, the civil rights story, is the air they breathe. We've taught it to them in every way possible. 
we take our children to marches. They've demonstrated. Uh, but they also see in our household the books, the recordings. And I don't mean to be immodest, but uh, I was blessed to come to know the King family in particular. I was very dear friends with Yolanda King, Yoki King, um, who sadly died some years ago of of heart disease, you know, as uh, her father would likely have died if he wouldn't have made 90 years old. When he was autopsy, the doctor said that he had the heart of a man twice his age. Um, but I was blessed to come to know that family, uh, including Coretta King and, and the other children uh, in the King family. Uh, and I think often of the burdens that they continue to carry because of who and what their father was. But I also am terribly aware of the necessity for all of us uh, to carry our parts of that burden, to pass the torch, to pass the baton uh, in these days. Um, So I think about Dr. King often, but I think about all the others who were very much engaged in the civil rights movement, uh, whether we're talking about Ella Baker and Fannie Lou Hamer and uh, the other conveners of the March on on Washington, whom everyone forgets. I mean, John Lewis is still with us, um, but we have to think about the others who convened that uh, now famous march. And then we have to take up the torch that they passed to us. Well, as part of taking up that torch, we've uh, we've just about reached the end of our program, and I'd like to give the opportunity to our three guests to share their final thoughts. And in particular, I would like you to reach back into your knowledge of Dr. King and the things that he said, and give our listeners a message that you think he would deliver today to kind of inspire us and, and move us forward. We've come a ways, but we have a very long way to go. So, Justin, I'd like to turn to you first and invite you to kind of let us know where we're going. All right. Well, um, it's been wonderful talking to you all this afternoon. I can I can say that uh, Dr. King and his legacy always inspires me. It's, it's about this time of the year when uh, you know I've made my New Year's resolutions, and about three weeks in, I've often failed at. A number of them, and I need more inspiration. And this is—it's always perfect timing to be able to talk about Dr. King. He was part of the Black prophetic tradition. Cornell West once said he had fire in his bones and love in his heart, light in his mind, and courage in his soul. And you know, for me, I took those images and I took them to to heart. And I have always striven to to try to figure out what it would be like to manifest that type of energy and commitment and courage in my own life. And I, like I said earlier, I think that we're at a particular time where because we have not progressed in a straight line on questions of civil rights in critical race theory, we use this terminology called reform and retrenchment. And what that means is, um, you know, after a stride forward, we often have a stride backward. After emancipation and reconstruction, we had Jim Crow. After segregation ended, uh, we had mass incarceration. 
after Barack Obama, now we have a Donald Trump. And so you see that this this cycle, unfortunately, has continued uh, throughout history. And so the good news here is that we have a major role to play in our opportunity to have the baton passed to us to work on these issues that are familiar, but in unfamiliar circumstances, technology has changed, the global dynamics, power dynamics are changing. But again, the the issues are the same. And I, I think, as we said earlier, economic justice, uh, racial justice, uh, the fight against militarism, these fights are still ongoing. And the manifestations show their face every day on the news. Um, and we know that even to this very moment, we have people suffering in a government shutdown. Uh, to this very moment, we've got uh, people worried about uh, how they're going to make ends meet at the end of the month. So we have so much to fight about. It's almost overwhelming, but I, I just would leave to note that we shouldn't be overwhelmed because we do have the legacy of Dr. King to look to for inspiration. And I think we can use that for strength as we move forward to try to make a difference in this world. And Justin, how can our listeners reach out to you? My contact information, uh, you can reach me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. My Twitter handle is BlackStarJust, J-U-S. And um, um, that's my same handle on Instagram. And uh, you can reach me on social media. And of course, um, I'm also at Howard University's Thurgood Marshall Center. Um, and uh, you can just Google us and find us online there. No website yet, but that's forthcoming shortly. Uh, but feel free to reach out at any time. Well, I would say I, we're in trying and difficult times. And as Justin pointed out, we're really in the third reconstruction. Uh, Dr. King, 50 years ago, said each step forward accents an ever-present tendency to backlash. So he was even as far as the civil rights movement had come at that particular point in time with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, and the Fair Housing Act, which Dr. King didn't live to see in 1968. Even with that much progress, he knew that retrogression and retrenchment uh, was a, a part of structural inequality. But I think we have to be optimistic. As all of us have said, we have to use struggle to light the way. Dr. King's legacy, I think, is especially bright in these dark times. He even said once that darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. So I think his message really resonates because we have to embrace that message and and really have true hope. And that means the determination to fight and advocate and be involved in movements to try and provide a better tomorrow. And that's what we have to fight for, a united political community. And it's going to take a while because of all of these efforts and barriers that have been put up in our way. But if America is what it truly says it is, we'll have to make uh, that dream a reality, not only a, a reality, but an inclusive reality where substantive equality really means something. Uh, I'm Cedric Merlin Powell, and I can be reached at the University of Louisville Brandeis School of Law. And my email is Cedric, C-E-D-R-I-C dot Powell at Louisville. Well, I'm so glad to have been on this uh, part of this conversation with uh, my colleagues. They 
inspire me and encourage me with the things that they are saying. I think I think we have to remember Martin Luther King's commitment to something that's sorely lacking in our country these days, and that's civil discourse. Uh, you know, he he engaged in civil discourse, uh, which was consistent with his message of nonviolent resistance, but also his message of love. And I don't mean a kind of blind love. Uh, you know, he talked about uh, a special kind of love that was not about a man and a woman, but rather about how we treat each other as human beings. But also, uh, you know, the economic justice imperative, uh, as uh, we've talked about, is more important than ever. The, the disparities are greater than ever. And we've got to continue that fight. And we've got to save our democracy, which has been imperiled not only by the attempts to keep people from participating in democracy, you know, the right to vote, but also very much um, a failure of people at the top of government now, the president of the United States. I think he's forfeited that title in some ways, but nonetheless, that's the office he, he occupies. But he's completely uh, abandoned uh, the fundamental precepts of democracy. I want to lift up Reverend Barber's name, though, because... He's doing and continuing the work of Martin Luther King in particular, and I think we all ought to uh, support him and join his work but take it on as our own. Great. And how can our listeners reach out and find you on the Internet? Well, I'm at uh, the uh, University of North Carolina School of Law, and so you can go on the website and you can find me, Theodore M. Shaw, professor, and also the director of the Center for Civil Rights. I'm I'm easy to find at the, um, you know, on the internet, uh, but also uh, make sure that you kick me in the pants if need be to get my attention because I get a lot of emails. Yes, sir. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, gentlemen, for participating on our show today. That brings us to the end of our show. If you've liked what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. You can also visit us at LegalTalkNetwork.com where you can leave a comment on today's show and sign up for our newsletter. I'm Craig Williams. Thanks for listening. Join us next time for another great legal topic. When you want legal, think lawyer to lawyer. Thanks for listening to Lawyer to Lawyer, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join J. Craig Williams and Robert Ambrosi for their next podcast, covering the latest legal topic. Subscribe to the RSS feed on LegalTalkNetwork.com or in iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. 
Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.